0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In ancient times, when a king was going to visit a city, he would send someone before him to announce his coming. That person served as a herald. He would go around the city telling all the people, the king is coming. He'll be here any day. So clean up your lives. Make sure that you are all in obedience to the king's command so that You will not be punished when he comes. The herald would also serve as a city inspector. He would tell the people to get rid of all the garbage lying around and to sweep the streets. He'd tell them to fix the roads, making them smooth and straight. They needed to be prepared for the king's coming. Our text speaks of John the Baptist serving as the herald of the coming Messiah. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke tells us that this was in fulfillment of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In Isaiah's prophecy, we read of how people were called to prepare for the king's coming by making the roads level and straight. Isaiah writes about how all flesh will see the salvation of God. John's task as herald or as forerunner of Christ was to prepare the people's hearts for the coming of the Christ. They were looking for a political messiah, To redeem them from the subjection of the Romans. Yet Christ was coming for a different reason. He was coming to redeem his people from their sins. To deliver them from slavery to Satan. John needed to prepare the people for their coming king. By preaching a baptism of repentance and of the forgiveness of sins. How does all this relate to us? Well, beloved, just as the people in John's day were awaiting the coming of the Messiah, so we too long for the second coming of Christ on the clouds of heaven. We need to be ready for the Lord's return. What is necessary for us to be prepared to receive him? Well, exactly the same thing as was necessary for God's people in the days of John the Baptist. We need to repent of our sins, to prepare our hearts for his coming. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need to undergo conversion to enter God's kingdom. We need to be spiritually reborn to share in the blessings of the coming king. And so this morning I preached to you God's word under the following theme. Prepare your heart for the coming of the Lord. We'll consider the call to repent of your sins and the call to bear fruit in your lives. John the Baptist came as a herald for the coming Messiah. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. At the end of Luke 1, we are told about how John grew, how he became strong in spirit how he was in the wilderness until the days of his public appearance to Israel. Matthew three gives us some more details about John. It says, "Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey." John was different from most of the people of his day. He was considered strange. That's why people talked about him all over Israel. The main thing that John did was preach. The Gospels describe him as a man of action. His teaching was not like what anyone was accustomed to. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was getting people ready for salvation. This this fulfilled the prophecy made about him by the angel Gabriel in the temple. He said he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John issued a strong call for reformation. He called the people to repent of their sins, to turn their hearts back to the Lord, the God of Israel. God was going to work among them in wondrous ways. He was about to send the Messiah, but they had to prepare their hearts for His coming. There was only one way for the people to do that. They needed to repent of their sins. John's preaching of a baptism for the repentance of sins is often misunderstood. John's baptism is not the same as the baptism that Jesus instituted before he went up into heaven. Jesus' baptism was a sign and seal of the promise of our triune God to us. But John's baptism was different, it was an expression of repentance. People were baptized as a sign of their sincere desire to turn away from their sins. It was a confirmation of their commitment to reform their lives. That's why in Acts 19, Paul rebaptized some Christians in Ephesus who had formerly only received John's baptism. John was not telling the people that to get ready, that to get to heaven, they needed to repent and to believe. He was not preaching an, even, an, evangel, an, evangel, an evangelistic message. He was not talking about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We need to remember, John was preparing the way for the Messiah. He was straightening out crooked roads and making the rough places into a level pathway. He was telling God's people to clean up the mess they had made of their lives. The New Testament uses a variety of different words to speak about forgiveness. We need to take note of the meaning of the word Jesus, that John uses when he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word translated forgiveness literally means to be released to be set free it's used later in Luke 4:18 to speak of how the messiah came to provide release for the captives to set prisoners free you see beloved sin is wrapped around us like chains or like heavy ropes By nature, we are enslaved. We are in bondage to sin. Very often, that can be a reality in our lives, even as Christians. The release or freedom spoken about here is when we no longer have to have that cigarette or drink that alcohol or look at those shameful images on our screen or spend money on stuff we don't need. It's being able to let go of our anger, our pride, and our greed. It's being set free from our slavery to sin. So how are we set free from slavery to sin? We need to repent of it. Do you know what repentance is? True repentance involves both a turning away from sin and a turning to God. Colossians 3 describes it as putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature and clothing yourself with the fruit of the Spirit. More and more we need to put off the old sin-stained life. And we need to put on Christ. How do we truly repent of our sins? Well, to do so, we need to be confronted with our sins. You see, beloved, our tendency is to live in denial about our sins. We so easily lie to ourselves about our sins, we minimize them, we make excuses for them. We blame them on others around us. But Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 7. He asked, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? While we're often good at critiquing others, we often don't have a clear perspective on how sinful we really are. The same applied to God's people in Jesus' time. And so God sent John to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. When John preached to the people of his day, he did so boldly. He did so without pulling any punches. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. John laid their sins before them. In an effort to truly prepare their hearts for the Lord. Beloved, this morning I would like you to take the time to examine your heart, your life. As I ask questions in an attempt to identify sin in your life, you will be tempted to think about others around you instead of yourself. Don't do that. That's deflecting attention away from where it needs to be. If we're going to learn to truly walk in close communion with God, then each one of us needs to know our sins. We need to identify our sins so we can humble ourselves before God, so we can repent of them. The goal here is repentance that I learned to grieve with heartfelt sorrow that I have offended God by my sins and that more and more I hate my sins and I flee from them. Beloved, are you hypocritical in your service of God? Do you come to church on Sunday but forget about God for most of the following week? What are your devotional habits like? Do you begin your day with God? Are you too lazy to get up on time to read your Bible or pray in the morning? Do you complain that God is not blessing you, that you're facing struggles and hardships in your life? How do you expect God to bless your daily work when the first time you talk to him is around the supper table? I think that everyone here this morning would consider him or herself to be a Christian. One of the basic attributes of a Christian is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Can others see from your life that you are truly a follower of Christ? How do you deal with the members of your family Treat your spouse and your children poorly, taking out your frustration and your anger on them? Do you gossip and slander your brothers and sisters, degrading them in front of others? Do you pick on your classmates at school? Do you bully those who don't live don't measure up to the standards set by the popular kids in your class? If you do so, you need to repent. Beloved, are you living a double life? Do you present yourself as a Christian and then go on and indulge in all kinds of sinful pleasure? A few weeks ago, we learned from Jonathan van Meren that sexual addiction is a much bigger problem among Christians than we ever imagined. Do you view pornography Or engage in sinful fantasies? Are you hooking up for sex before or outside of marriage? The Bible calls that sexual immorality. It warns that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's you, you need to repent. Are you addicted to alcohol or drugs? Do you regularly get drunk or get high? Is the situation of your life such that you cannot make it through a day or a week without booze or pot? I know that sometimes we use alcohol or drugs to medicate ourselves from the pain and the hurt that lives in our hearts. But that's a lousy way to live. It gives Satan opportunities to ensnare us, to make us captive to those substances. The Bible says that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. It encourages us not to get drunk, for that is debauchery, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. If substance abuse is a problem for you, you need To repent. Brothers and sisters, how do you conduct yourself in daily life? Do you swear on the job site? Do you laugh when someone tells an off color joke? Do you work each day using your gifts and talents to the best of your ability? Or do you just show up and work for the paycheck? Do you speak about Jesus Christ to those around you living in darkness? Jesus said that if you confess him before men, he will, he will confess you before his Father in heaven. But he warned that if you deny him, he will also deny you on the final day. Love it. How much time do you spend watching TV or? Surfing the internet or indulging yourself with social media? Do you make time for a Bible study or to visit the shut ins in our midst? How much money do you spend on yourself? On smokes and booze, on cell phones, large screen TVs, cars, trucks, and fancy homes? Are you generous in your support of the church, Christian education, mission, and the needy? If you're guilty of wasting your time, your talents, your treasure, then you need to repent. Brothers and sisters, do you tend to presume on God's grace? Do you think that because you've been baptized and because you belong to a Reformed church, you'll be saved? Our text warns, And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. The fact that you have been born into the covenant is a great privilege. But it will not save you. If you do not repent of your sins. Beloved, humble your hearts before God. Understand that you need to prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Jesus came once, some 2,000 years ago, to provide redemption for his people. He came to save us from our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. God. But Jesus only came to save sinners. He didn't come to save proud people who didn't think they needed repentance. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again on the clouds of heaven. On that great day, he will take his place on the heavenly throne. He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Beloved, you need to repent of your sins. You need to get down on your knees and confess to the Lord where and how you have offended Him with your sins. You need to grieve about the fact that despite God's grace and love toward you, you do not show Him the gratitude He deserves. You need to cry out to God for mercy that despite your unworthiness, he might forgive your stubborn rebellion against him. Repentance begins with prayer, with confessing our sins and pleading for forgiveness. But repentance doesn't end there. You need to learn to hate your sins and flee from them. True repentance is turning away from sin. Think about Joseph when Potiphar's wife wanted him to sleep with her. What did Joseph do? He ran away, he got himself out of that situation. Do whatever you need to do to avoid temptation. Don't flirt with sin. Don't put yourself in a situation where you might fall. Flee from sin. Just run the other way. True repentance requires a change in how you're living your life. It's not good enough to feel a bit sad today listening to this sermon and then go forward. And continue to live in the same sinful patterns as always. In our first point, we've considered the call to repent of your sins. In our second point, we'll consider the call to bear fruit in our lives. True repentance involves two parts it involves both a turning away from sin and a turning to the Lord. To be released from the power of sin, something needs to take place in our lives. Let me repeat that. To be released from the power of sin, something needs to take sin's place in our lives. Otherwise, our repentance will not last. We may turn away from specific sin today and tomorrow and perhaps next week. But if there's nothing to take its place... It will soon take us captive again. In Colossians 3, Paul makes it clear that true repentance involves putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. But that's only half the process. We also need to clothe ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. In our Catechism, in Lord's Day 33, The true repentance and conversion of man is described as the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. The coming to life of the new nature involves a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. What is it that brings true joy in our lives? It's not Outward things. We may enjoy good health, be blessed with a happy marriage and faithful children, and have lots of material possessions, but these things don't bring true joy. Joy is fruit of the Spirit. True joy comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven. By Christ's great sacrifice. Lasting joy results from the fact that we have been reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Belonging to Jesus Christ and sharing in his treasures and gifts is the only thing that provides true joy. Such joy is not something that we can work for. It's not something we merit through our good works. It is a gift of grace. God gives joy to all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, who depend on Him for their hope and salvation. There's only one way to receive joy it's by faith alone. The point I want to make, beloved, that it's not enough to turn away from your sins, to hate them and flee from them. You also need to turn to God, to live in close communion with Him. What does it mean to live in close communion with God? Fundamentally, it means that we love God with all our heart. We want an intimate relationship with Him. But how do you have an intimate relationship with the Lord? By walking and talking with Him. If you're living out of God's grace, knowing that your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ, then you'll be truly thankful. Out of thankfulness, you will desire to live your life for God. You want to please God. By living according to his commandments, it will be your desire to praise and glorify him in all your words and works. Do you see that kind of fruit in your life, beloved? Is it your earnest heart's desire to walk close with God, to obey his will? John warned the people of Israel with these words. He said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. This is an image taken from normal life. If you had a fig tree that never produced figs or an olive tree that never bore fruit, what good is it? None at all. You would cut it down and burn it and plant another tree in its place. Well, in the same way, God's judgment will come on all those who do not bear the fruits of repentance in their lives. John the Baptist preached repentance with such urgency that the people of his day asked, what then shall we do? They were desperate to know how to escape the fire of God's coming judgment. They were aware that they were not living the way God wanted them to live. They were ready to do something about it. But they weren't quite sure what to do. John taught them how to turn away from their sins and live in obedience to God's commands. In Luke 3, we read of three different examples John gave of what repentance should look like. The first example was for everyone. John said, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. John knew that many of his listeners were cheap. They lacked the grace of generosity, they liked to keep things for themselves. Yet John told them to share their food and clothing. With those in need. There's a practical lesson in this for us. Compared to about 90% of the people of the world, we live very comfortable lives. Are we willing to share our bounty with those in need? The second example was for the tax collectors. John told them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Rome required its tax collectors to collect a certain sum of money from the people living in each town or city. Tax collectors often charged much more, defrauding their fellow citizens and lining their their own pockets. Their countrymen regarded them as traitors, as thieves, and they were not wrong. John taught the tax collectors to deal fairly and justly with their fellow citizens. There is in this a practical lesson for all employers and all employees. Employers are called to pay pay a fair wage. And employees are called to do their work faithfully, not as people-pleasers, but as servants of God. The third example John gave was for a group of soldiers. He said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. And be content with your wages. Like the tax collector, soldiers often took advantage of their position by taking money or goods from others. There was a real temptation for them to do that, for soldiers were generally not well paid. John's teaching shows us how we are not to abuse the authority God has given us. How we are to be satisfied with the gifts he provides. Beloved, there are many ways in which we can show forth the, fruit of the, the fruits of repentance in our lives. One of the things most necessary for each one of us is that we devote time to our relationship with God. How can you fight the good fight of the faith if you're not walking closely with God? How can you withstand the temptations of the devil this world and your own sinful flesh without putting on the armor of God? Brothers and sisters, start each day with Bible reading and prayer. Ask the Lord for His guidance and care. Seek his blessing before you begin your daily tasks. Turn off your media. Give yourself time to think, to meditate on the Lord and on his ways. Be diligent in your devotions around the dining room table. Talk together about what God's word means for you in your daily lives. Get involved. In communal Bible study, it's when we open up with others about our struggles and allow God's Word to provide guidance and direction that we're equipped to live our lives in a close relationship with God. Beloved, show forth your love and your relationships with those around you. Quit your murmuring and complaining Humble that proud heart of yours. Put off all anger and hatred from you. Let your husband or wife, your kids or other family members see that they are dear to you. When you speak to your workmates, do so in an encouraging way. When you speak about others, build up their name and their reputation. Instead of picking on that classmate that's a bit different, be that person's friend. Stick up for him or her. Christ loved us first. He now calls us to love one another. Don't give any place in your life for Satan to tempt you with sexually immoral desires. If you're facing particular struggles with this, seek help or support from your parents, from a trusted friend, or from one of your office bearers. We won't judge you. We'll respect you for getting help with addictive behavior in your life. Use your time and your money wisely. Be good stewards of these gifts. Use them not for your own self-gratification, but in the service of God's kingdom. And for your neighbor's good. Beloved, true repentance involves both a turning away from sin and a turning to God. Do you see the fruits of true repentance in your life? Are you truly living in the joy of faith? Is there fruit in your life to show that your faith is living? Living? If the Lord came back today, would you be prepared for his coming? If you had to stand before the judgment seat of God, how would God judge you? In a couple of weeks, we will have opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's important for us to prepare for that through a process of self-examination, You need to make the time to closely look at your own life. To see if you're truly walking and talking with God. If in word or in conduct you're leading a sinful life. If you persist in your sins without repenting from them. Then by partaking of this sacrament you are eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Take heed. Be warned. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah, beloved, this is not intended to turn away those with humble and contrite hearts. The point is not that only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. Otherwise, none of us could attend. If you have repented of your sins you're welcome to come to the Lord's table. If you see in your life a fight against the sinful desires of the flesh, a deep desire to live in a close relationship with God, then the Lord delights in having you share communion with Him at His table. Those with broken and contrite hearts, are the ones whom Christ will welcome into his kingdom on the final day. Amen. Let's respond by rising and singing together, hymn 15.